into the ground. We're back. Another week. Another guest. We got author, novelist, writer, publisher, <laughs> model, Miss Rose Books herself, Chelsea Hodson on the pod. <laughs> What's up? Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Model yeah. is very model is very outdated. I just want to put that. That was not my idea to put in the intro. Oh no, so no, it's very, no, 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 it's very <laughs> concurrent to this episode specifically. You got to lead with it, honestly. <laughs> oh, okay, I, okay, I know where you're going with this. Thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll look into that a little later. But uh, yeah, approximately, if you want to skip to approximately 45 minutes from this time, <laughs> when we start stamp, talking you'll about, be about the record. Yeah, time time stamp it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you've been. Yeah, you know, like we mentioned in our Christopher Norris episode, we like to consider ourselves a part of the Rosebooks family. Uh, we'd <laughs> yeah. like to invite you into the Run into the Ground family. <laughs> I as, really appreciate uh, that. I feel like I'm already a part of it. So as as we started that, doing, you know, PR for your authors, you've accepted <laughs> yeah. us with open arms. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it's funny. I didn't even know. Uh, I didn't even know Chris had a book coming out on Rose Books until like the day of, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." A little nepotism yeah. going on over here with our uh, <laughs> with our you know guest stream over here. Yeah, we need to we need to get something signed that says we get to personally break all your authors first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need, yeah, you get the exclusive. that exclusive 360 deal. You know, we need a little back end residuals. Well, you have had that with um with the two with my two authors so far, Jeff Rickley and Christopher Norris. You have had the first interviews about their book. Oh, fuck <laughs> that, all right. hell yeah, yeah. And then fucking so Jeff, an then Jeff Rickley went on the Ion Pack and really, uh, you know, we had him first. <laughs> hey, we gotta do what we gotta do. When when did those pre-orders start shipping for uh, for Jeff's for book. Jeff's book? Yeah, um, in July. Nice. So his book comes out in July, but I have a lot of orders that I'm packing myself. So nice. some people that pre-order might get them a little bit early, oh, <laughs> not right. too awesome. early. But I cannot just put as many orders as we got just in the mail on on publication day. So there's going to be a few uh, few waves of shipments, I you know, believe. If you want to nice. slide ours into that first shipment, that'd be much appreciated. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, know? did you, sure. you, you pre-ordered it too, Dan? Of course I did. Oh, that's so great. Did you do it mid-episode? I think like I, I did. did. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, yeah I, need, I need some reading for the beach, you know? I need a... I need it's one a of good beach read. Yeah, good those, those trashy erotica novels, like uh, <laughs> like Mr. Rickley's pumping out to to read to read laying out on the sand on the I Jersey Shore. I wonder. I wonder what a Rickley romance novel is. I often <laughs> I wonder a lot about Rickley romance, but mostly what uh, what a Rickley romance novel would consist of. Well, you know, with this book that he wrote, someone who isn't me, I think one of um, some editorial feedback he received from someone else, not from me, was that. He treated the um, drug scenes as sex scenes. You know, there is this kind of like erotic attachment in some ways where it's like this thing that you can't let go of um, and how to let go of it. So there is actually kind of, I think, actually a romantic element of the book for sure. So it's, you know, not capital R romance, maybe, but (laughs) let's um, let's talk about. About Rose books for a second. Um, Tell me, give me the origin story. Yeah, um, it had been, you know, I was very close with um, a publisher and editor named Giancarlo de Trapano, who ran this publishing house called Tyrant Books um, out of New York and then out of Italy. I taught um, a workshop with him and became really good friends with him. Um, He died in 2021, but I, you know, I don't think, I think around that time I just thought, 
you know, what a loss that um, Tyrant Books can't exist because that was my favorite indie press. And I never sought out to replace that in any way, but it really, you know, his death really made me think about what he contributed to the world and to literature and what mattered to me about doing that, you know? And so I, I have edited on a freelance basis, kind of independently behind the scenes for many years. So I've helped a lot of books before they get to the publishing stage. And so people hire me to edit their books, to work on them, to give feedback and to refine them. And so I really like editing. And um, I think this idea was just in the back of my mind that maybe someday I should do my own indie press, Mm -hmm. um, even on like a small scale basis. And, you know, I, I'm bold in some ways, but I'm also afraid in other ways. I'm like a real yeah. worst. I'm like a real worst case scenario person, where you know every time I have an idea, I'll think uh, ten ways that it can go horribly wrong, and um, I think that fear kind of let won over in um, some ways for a while, and and then I it started becoming more and more pressing of just like you should do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had. Um, read and provided feedback on Jeff Rickley's book, Someone Who Isn't Me, um, years before he was kind of ready to publish it. So oh, wow. I had met him. He came to my book launch, actually. That's how I met him. Mm-hmm. And I was and am a, a huge Thursday fan. And so I was very, very starstruck that he was at my reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is cool. Because it was already super exciting to have a book come out and of my own and then to you know, have all these people I admired at my lunch and to have Jeff Rickley show up. I just thought it was so funny. So we became friends after that. And um, so I had kind of read this book in its earlier phases. And one day I just approached him and said, I have this idea. (laughs) It's been sitting on the back of my mind, but I think your book is the right book to start with. You know, would you want to take a risk and do this on a press that I start? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he said, yes. So um, that kind of, you know, put things into gear. Um, I felt like that was the book I wanted to start with. And if he said no, then maybe I would just put on the back burner until I found something that really seemed like the right book. But once it seemed real and it was kind of in motion um, about a year and a half ago, um, I started thinking about other books. And again, you know, as I um, read an earlier version of Christopher Norris's book, um, I said, could I put this out? (laughs) So I approached approached him in the same way. And so that was the second book I acquired. And um, um, I was a fan of his earlier book, um, Hunchback 88. And were you really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I find that hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it. No, Um, no, I just I, um, I think his is uh his way of working with language is so fascinating Mm -hmm. and i really am a fan of what he does and i think there's really no one like him so um and i think jeff rickley's book is so interesting to me because i think it really stands on its own it um you do not have to be a fan of him necessarily or thursday to appreciate that book and i think that's something that is missing from some musicians books i would say that i read where it's like if you're not already invested in the story of them as a musician, you're not going to get the book as a separate object in that way, or like as a literary object. 
And Jeff's book totally functions as a great novel, like whether or not you know him. So that's cool. Those both those are both books I was super excited about. And then the book coming out next year. So I have three titles in the works right now. The third one is by a writer named Ashley Gonzalez, and um, she is mainly unpublished. And again, it's just someone I kind of knew and. Um, I knew that she was writing and I wanted to kind of support that. And I thought that hers would be a great third book. So we've been working on that together. Her and I. That's awesome. Nice. Regarding uh, the Jeff, like Jeff's book being, you know, essentially a first time author in that sense of like a novel of, of some sort. Is it tough to work with a first time author? Does it involve, I know you said you did some earlier kind of coaching with it. How much like, how many edges had to be like sanded down a little bit? To kind of get Um, it press ready. Yeah. um, It's not anything to do with him being a first-time author. It's really, you know, we've collaborated in the sense that he really loves for things to be perfect and to be really refined. So, you know, I would have been happy um, with an earlier version, but he wanted to change it and, you know, change certain things and clean it up. Um, You know, we had a copy editor go through it. So even just on that level... You know, we spent, I would say, dozens of hours on Zoom editing together beyond, like, correspondence we had beyond that. But that's, like, all line edits where (laughs) it would be, like, you know, here you capitalize this, but on the other page you didn't capitalize it. Do you want, like, what do you want to do here? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, down to that level of edit to... You know, this part might be a little confusing for readers. How do we want to clarify this? So I'm really kind of macro and micro, but I, you know, I I have a copy editor as well that helps me. Um, But Jeff was really down for that and wanted to work in that way. So um, it wasn't that the book needed it. (laughs) It's that I really care about the first Rose books being amazing and really clean. Because some people, you know, a lot of people, you know, you can start your own indie press. It doesn't. You don't have to be like an expert or <laughs> you don't have to be of a certain level to start a press. But I think it's harder to have a book that's really professional and clean because copy editing is really expensive. It's extremely time consuming. And as things move along in the book design wise, things get messed up. <laughs> so right. it's just really, it's just really, really time consuming that kind of final editing phase. How many so. times have you read that book now? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I think it's funny because, you know, I think I did a blurb for the book um, before he, before <laughs> I was going to publish it because it's not appropriate for me to blurb <laughs> if I'm publishing it. Right. <laughs> but I said, you know, like this is a, an unforgettable book that I'm going to read, a, you know, a ton more times. Or I said something in a more poetic version. Jeff was mm-hmm. like, that turned out to be prophetic because you are going to read it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I probably read it a hundred times, honestly. So wow, Dan, do you yeah. read a lot of books? Not enough. I I find the time to. I'm always like doing a second thing all the time. Yeah, like yeah. I'm usually consuming media while like editing photos. It's kind of why I've like watched like I love like a thirty minute comedy, like because mm. I can kind of put it in the background without losing con- like density, you know. Yeah, and so like I've been, uh, you know, I've watched Thirty Rock a ton of times. I'm currently like watching the Larry Sanders show, and it's just like a nice, easy thing I can put on while like hammering through event photos or wedding photos. Books, it's a little tougher because it it does require like solitary focus. 
and and it's tough for me sometimes to um to kind of set that time aside i want to do it more i mean even just like catching up on my copies of like new york magazine <laughs> you know there was, so, uh, there was yeah. like a uh there was a span i like i go like one of two ways either i, I don't pick up a book for six months um, but when I do, I finish it in three days, and then I'll yeah. read three more, and then you know I won't pick up another book for six months. Yeah. Um, so I'm on like a good. Uh, I, uh, I do two books a year, maybe. <laughs> I, audiobooks don't count, right? Um, I count them for sure. Oh, yeah. cool! I read a ton of. Books. I'm very <laughs> literate. There you go. I mean, if you're taking them in, you know, I don't, I don't really distinguish between <clears throat> them. Yeah. The uh, so uh, quick question regarding like creating. A publishing company yeah like what differentiates that from say self-publishing in terms of um i mean i'm someone who's been self-publishing photo books and stuff of my own for probably a decade now yeah. uh what then turns that corner into saying like i'm a press i'm mm-hmm. i mean i guess part of it is is publishing other people's books but uh you know what goes into the deeper side of that in terms of like defining yourself as a book press yeah yeah i mean that's a good question i think um for me as someone who's just a fan of indie presses it's like the identity of the press as a whole it's not necessarily how big or you know who's publishing what it's kind of like what you know when i read all of those titles what is the impression i get um from the press as as a personality or like an identity and so that's something I feel like I'm intentionally trying to develop with Rose Books, where after three titles, you might get a sense of what my vision is mm-hmm. as an editor and publisher. Um, and right now, I don't have any plans to publish my own work in, um, from that. Of just you know, I'm trying to just create spaces for writers that I think are really exciting. Okay, I do love that idea. It's kind of like the like a record label model in the sense of like oh like everything on death wish is probably you know if i like the other artists on this label you kind of understand the vision of the person running it and you can kind of it's like oh this kind of filters it down into something that is worth checking out because they thought it was worth putting out you know and i I think that idea of like a a specialized a a more like focused vision that's that's really smart I think that's okay. something that a lot of larger presses are missing is that sense of identity. It's like they'll just publish anything. You know, my book <laughs> my book was published by a publisher who also published Mar- Mariah Carey's memoir. You know, and it's like <laughs> I'm I'm lucky to have been published by a publisher with resources. Like that's a lucky thing for me and I don't mean to put it down, but what does that mean? I don't have any right. my book doesn't have anything in common with that book and do they know how to handle all of the books? You know, it's like I just think like most industries publishing is kind of losing its identity and the thing that makes it special and they just want to make the cheapest books possible and i kind of have the sense that you know i'm just like self-funded doing my own thing and i'm making beautiful hardcovers (laughs) and like that's something that these you know huge publishers are not doing for authors and i just think like there's no excuse (laughs) like just do it do it in a smart way and it is possible so you know so far it's possible for me (laughs) you know small small presses are often not forever i intend to go as long as i can and so far it's going well so that's awesome is it hard to find like how many companies are there that make hardcover books 
you know, I got recommended one and that's the one that I'm working with. So nice. I didn't um, do a whole lot of comparing. I just liked this company that um, I was recommended. And, you know, I was recommended them because another small press said these, this is a good company to do smaller quantities. Mm. So, um, you know, I can do something that's really special and cool, but not be on the line for 10,000 copies. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so no, that's that's, that, that's the, the tough special thing. kind of printer. And so once I could, once I got the pricing and kind of the info from this one printer, I was like, well, that'll work. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. Um, so you read a lot? Yeah, I do. <laughs> nice. Um, I want, I want top three. I want oh, a classic. Gosh. I want a nonfiction, and I want a a a, a more recent book. Okay, nonfiction. I'm looking at my bookshelf here. Nonfiction, <laughs> a book I love is called Festival Days. It's by Joanne Beard, who mm-hmm. is a former teacher of mine, and I love and reread that book a lot. Um, since I was talking about tyrant books, I'm looking at a book from 2014. It's called Bad Sex. It's by Clancy Martin. It's one of my all time favorite books. Classic. That's weird. I know a guy named Martin Clancy. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> That's Sorry. funny. Yeah, this is Clancy Martin. Um, he just wrote a book too called "How to Not Kill Yourself" about ten failed suicide oh, attempts as well. Jesus. So kind of interesting. I haven't That's read that yet, light, but he's a really reading. interesting writer. Um, classics. Gosh, I'm looking at my shelf. It's like I don't have that many books actually because I get rid of a lot of them after. I read. I might have to come back on the classics question. I don't know. <laughs> nice. You know, I like I like Frankenstein. I guess. Sure. You know, it's like, you know that um, my interest is really in um, contemporary writers that are pressing on the boundaries of genre in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. You asked for a nonfiction book, and I actually listed a book that's mainly essays, but a lot of stories as well. So mm-hmm. you know, so, it's and, like and- writers that just do whatever they want andrew only likes the first two pages of frankenstein oh, i was good i was oh, hey, at, le- at least at least you get that far that was good you. I was, hey you pre you I you, you pre-ordered that- whatever whatever you do after after you order is is not my business i, was trying to, I think that's <laughs> i just appreciate your pre-order I'm just i making, think that's uh, the first book pre-order i've ever pre-ordered really i really i really yeah, i mean because i'm not like a I don't know. I, don't, I, you know what? I can tell you most of the books that I've ever purchased, I've purchased like on the like final sale yeah. cart at like a big bookstore. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, the, the last two books I remember, the last two hardcover books I remember buying were, um, the John Fine memoir, um, about like his time in, in mm-hmm. Bitch Magnet and then, you know, other stuff. Uh, and then the Caesar Caesar Chavez book, and I feel like those are the last two books that I bought. Well, I guess that's not true. I mean, when I when I worked um, when I worked in New York City, I worked in that cafe that was in the front of what bookstore was that? Uh, McNally Jackson. No, no was it? No, it was it was it was, it was the one cafe. alongside Club Monaco, right yeah, in it was Flatiron. In the Club Monaco. But yeah, anyway. it, it wasn't the Strand, but it was something no. similar. But or maybe it was like an offshoot. Of it, it might have been like a strand. Uh, <laughs> but I bought that that book by the space. RZA. That book was really good. The the Tao of Wu was really good. Yeah. And the Kim Gordon um, memoir was really really good too. Yeah, I feel like I gravitate towards nonfiction. Yeah, me a too. Bit. Uh, or like yeah, the memoir style. During the pandemic, I 
went through and just crushed a bunch of the Beat Generation books, mm. uh, which I really loved. I love, like, William S. Burroughs. Um, some of the Kerouac stuff is good. I, you know, I, I got through half of... What do you mean, what do you mean some, out of curiosity? I, I just haven't read them all. Oh, okay. Uh, was but, there, uh, was know, there Kerouac stuff you didn't like, Daniel? Uh, nothing I can remember offhand. I think Breakfast of Champions was something that would kind of, like... Was a slog a Isn't little, in that, some parts. Um, Vonnegut? Is that who? Is it? Oh, that is Vonnegut. You're right. Mm, who's the illiterate that, one? Maybe now, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Chelsea, I'm do not... you care about? Do you care about? Uh, uh, almost said Vonnegut. Everybody likes Vonnegut. Uh, do you care about Kerouac? Is that like? Um, I have, I wouldn't say I care that much. No, you know, it's, it's like I respect. I respect that, but I haven't read. Sure. I haven't read a lot of those books actually. Yeah, nice. I think. I think William S. Burroughs is like utterly you know uh so interesting it's it's crazy and just the way he writes about like his own addictions and and just like being like an 80 year old man who just like recreationally does heroin yeah. <laughs> it's just like crazy uh and there's so much wacky shit about that but like again that falls more into the memoir stuff um was it the Big Sur? I got halfway through because I went on a cruise, and then I was not on a cruise anymore, and I didn't finish <laughs> the book. But, yeah. you know, that's still more of a memoir kind of thing. You know, it's documenting an experience. So I've always kind of fallen into that category. But then I'm, I'm trying to think what the last fiction book was I read, and I'm like, oh, shit, I should read more fiction, you know? Hmm. Yeah, well, you got Jeff Rickley's book coming out. I know, I know. But I do love, uh, I do love a, a soft cover, though, I gotta say. I love, yeah. like, a trade paper. Just because you can like oh, yeah, throw it in I a bag too. and beat the shit out of it, but yeah, I there is too. something nice about a, a, a nice hardcover copy. To, well, that's to... why I'm doing both. It's like the hardcover is so expensive to make that I'm just making a few. You know, I'm making a really mm -hmm. small amount and then doing paperback so that it can stay in print and it doesn't mm -hmm. put me at risk for losing exactly. all my money. Andrew, did you get the, the hardcover <laughs> or the paperback? I think I got the paperback. Yeah, you would have gotten the paperback because the hardcover was sold out on the first day. So oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> you would have gotten the paperback. <laughs> That's fucking Way incredible, though. Jeff. Oh yeah, people. You know, Jeff's fans came out, and um, you know, people that like I have a lot of students and stuff too. So you know, the first day that Rose Books launched, there was no warning for it. It was like surprise i started a press and jeff rickley's writing a book and here's the pre-order and people were like what oh yeah that's <laughs> just a, a lot so of information was, being it was really it was really out. effective did you I keep that um, a secret yeah yeah I, oh, kept, cool. I kept the fact that i was starting a press secret from all my students everyone that knew me essentially for like a year how until oh, it was wow. yeah that was on the back burner for a year of like planning before the yeah and what what was the defining factor of like today's the day i'm gonna announce it um, this magazine called Publishers Weekly wrote a profile and we, um, we knew what day was going to come out. Mm -hmm. And so we prepped the website, got the pre-order ready. And we're like, we're going to go when this is announced tomorrow. That's, how did, how did they know about it? Um, I told them and I asked okay. them, would you write about it? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted the press to, um, be announced in a serious way. So that's because, awesome. you know, you asked about the difference between self-publishing and indie presses, and that's a totally legit concern. And it's like, yeah, because anyone can start a press. So I wanted it to be like, this is DIY. It's essentially just me and like some people that help me. But it's also really serious. Yeah. <laughs> and no, like, that's... I wanted I wanted that to come across that this isn't like 
you know, just some joke, uh, you know, quick thing I'm doing. It's like, yeah. this is this is for the long haul. Well, for it me. immediately adds credibility when it's coming from a credible source, you know? Yeah. And so I saw that. I saw the power of that. So I suspected that that would be the case. And I was like, this could be really important to have this like trade publication that usually yeah. doesn't even really notice indie presses, like take it seriously. Like that could have impact. And it did. And what do you think made them want to write about yours over other indie presses? Um, I think because only a few writers that I know of have started presses and not all oh. of them are currently running. Like they're, you know, over the years people have done it. Yeah, but yeah. I think it is kind of a newsworthy thing that an active writer herself is starting a press. So nice. I think I think that was the angle that they were like, oh, that's interesting. What? How saturated is that market? Or like how, you know, how many indie presses are there? Are you... There's a lot. There's a lot. There? And so that's why I was talking about the emphasis I have on, you know, the press having a certain identity, not just doing whoever my friend is or something. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's like um, having more of an aesthetic vision than that. And there's a lot of indie presses that have that. But I think that's the only way to really distinguish yourself as an indie press, because there are so, so many. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a sea of indie presses for sure. I have, uh, so many, I have so many book questions. Is, like, is, Heartworm, press, is Heartworm Press still running? As far as I know. Okay. Yeah. The uh I mean I'd love to ask you about your your own book that came out in 2018, right? 2018, yeah. Nice. And that was a collection of essays. How did that yeah. all come about? Like what was the editing process for that of like these are the stories I want to tell to the broader audience? Yeah. Um I started as a poet in my early 20s and then I spent about 7 years writing the book of essays. So um, it was kind of, you know, a process of figuring out my writing voice because I was going from poetry to essays, which is kind of an endeavor in itself. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have had this feeling where you can tell that your ability is not matching up with your taste, where like you're not good enough <laughs> yet. And I really had that feeling, not in not in an insecure way, but just like I don't want to publish this until it's good, until it, like I can tell that it's as good as it can be. And so I spent a lot of time like getting, you know, pursuing edits from other people, which is why I do that myself now, you know, yeah. I make myself available um, on a freelance basis for writers who just need editorial feedback, because that really helped me a lot when I was kind yeah. of coming up, so to say. Um, and then I, I ended up going back to grad school and that's where I really finished the book. Okay. So, I did that and then I had an agent and then she helped me sell the book. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. So you went you went to your undergrad was in English lit? Um my undergrad was in journalism and that's um that was in Tucson. That's why we have that Tucson connection. Oh, oh yeah, did you yeah. go to the University of Arizona? I did, yeah, for my Fuck undergrad. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. talk about Tucson. Let, let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's swerve off this when, book um, talk. When when did you live in Tucson? Um, what year was that? 2005 to 2009. Oh, I barely missed you. I was like 99. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, what a cool fucking place. I don't know what your experience was, but like... Yeah. For me, it was the first time I was ever like away from home. You know what I mean? Living on my own. I, I was the only like 17-year-old I knew that had an apartment. Yeah. Um, where, where'd you live? I lived by the university and then I lived like in the bar in the barrio. Nice. Like on Stone Stone Ave, I think it was. I also lived on Stone. Uh maybe oh. I lived on Prince. So my my first okay, apartment, yeah. um, I don't know if you ever went over the, over by Amphi High School. 
Um, I don't know if I did because I didn't have a car. So anywhere yeah. that I biked was, you know, a couple miles from the university was yeah. my my radius. So I don't think I know that area. Yeah, my first my it was an awful uh, building that was all uh, studio apartments. Wow. Um, I want to say my rent was two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Tucson rent was um, so so cheap. It was why I, I worked I at, there. I worked at um, I worked at a cafe in town on Speedway um that doesn't exist anymore and i worked at the hot topic in the tucson mall Maybe yeah you're familiar yeah. with the tucson mall yeah i worked at um i worked at the white house black market in the tucson Ooh, mall very <laughs> nice was the was the um was the lisa frank store still there when you were there no it wasn't there but there was oh, you know man. rumors of her house nearby which oh, i'm sure you man. heard there was a Lisa, a Lisa Frank store and a a San Rio store, so you really couldn't mm-hmm. go wrong wow. at the Tucson Mall. Yeah, yeah, you really couldn't. And so, and now you're in Sedona, which rips. I'm in Sedona. Yeah, and you love it. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I were just really burnt out on New York, and mm-hmm. we moved in 2021. So it, yeah, um, there we just reached a point where I didn't have to live there anymore for work. So. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what's keeping you there. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm not like a drinker, and I'm not a partier, so the social life doesn't really interest me in New York. To be honest, it's like mm-hmm. I would do it because I was there. You know, I would like go hang out and get drinks and stuff. But, um, it. I was just. I, I have no insecurity about just thinking like I aged out of it. I don't want to live yeah. there anymore. <laughs> I want to live uh, in the in the middle of nowhere, and like I I, I love it. <laughs> I feel like I didn't move to New York till I was like 35, 36. And that's, that's when funny. I started to party. It was great. Yeah. That's the only time in my life I've ever actually partied consistently. Yeah, New York New York can do that to you. I miss it. Let's I live just now. outside of New York and I uh, I don't party much at all. You don't party at all. I'm actually ashamed of your lifestyle somewhat. Why? Because I don't I... know, man. I, if I were a single person, like a single business owner like self-employed i don't know man that, see right there is the issue though the fact i'm the self-employed time. means i i work mostly nights and weekends yeah yeah, yeah then, people, then, people have this impression that self-employed means like you have a free schedule and i'm like i work 24 7 <laughs> i'm means, working it, constantly it means i get to go to trader joe's at like 10 a.m on a monday when no yeah. one's there yeah. that's exactly. what that's my partying that's but the luxury i got the, it also means that you could go to the turkey's nest uh, at 6 a.m. and really, like, <laughs> do it up. But why Why would I, though? I'm not a huge Same drinker, man. either. You could be. That's I all mostly, I'm saying is you could be. I'm on, I'm on Dan's side. I'm anti this plan that you have. I told you, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like still a straight-edge kid who drinks but, like, looks down on everyone else who does. You know? It's, <laughs> that's the I know mentality. Of us. I think that says something more about, like... You're lacking person. I mean, you're lacking. Uh, I, don't, I didn't mean to say personality. Wow. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm not roasting you that hard tonight. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so what's 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 popping in Sedona besides like? That's can you feel the can you, the, can you the feel beauty, the spirituality out there? Yeah, the beauty of the sun shining off the the sheer cliff faces. Yeah. Um, the wildlife is so novel to me. I mm. love it. It's like, you know, at the what's popping? Javelina in the front javelina. yard. You know? <laughs> I have so many great javelina stories. I, oh, every yeah, chance I, mean, I get. 
Yeah. I met um, someone from the UK recently that was like, I can't, like, I saw a Havelina. She was visiting in, in uh, Sedona and she was like, I saw a Havelina and it was so awesome. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. People from other countries find them very exotic. I'm yeah, like, I mean, those I things like, will fuck you up, though. I feel like Sedona is the new Joshua tree. Yeah, it definitely has um, a similarity. I've heard other people say um, it's like Idlewild um, in California, too, that that's like another comparison. But I've been to Joshua Tree, and I think that's pretty accurate. Um, Sedona is very tourist heavy. So I live mm. kind of a couple miles north of the town. Um, and uh, it's kind of you know out of the way so it doesn't really bother me that there's a lot of tourists here and i'm kind of into the fact that so many people visit here because it's like one of the most beautiful places in the world so yeah it's like why wouldn't you want to have to you know why wouldn't tourists be here so it's an interesting place to live um was it was but, a culture shock coming from how long were you in new york and like what neighborhood were you there um i my husband and i lived in williamsburg for I lived with him for over 10 years. He lived there, I think, 20 years um, wow. in that apartment, close to 20 years. And um, um, what else? Yeah, so we it was culture shock in a way, um, but in the best way. Like, we were so ready for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, um, we're just ready for a really big change. So moving from a city to um, the middle of a forest is um, a w very welcome change for two artists who aren't really that social anyway. <laughs> mm, fair. So. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I don't know if you got to it yet, you said you, you got about halfway through the, the Chris Norris episode, but yeah. I talked about my going on 14 year long Tumblr photo project, um, and I noticed that you have a Tumblr project as well that was really is fucking interesting. Is yours uh, ongoing or has it's, it ended? It's, it's still rolling. Okay, I gotta go check this out because Tumblr. Um, I I don't really use my Tumblr anymore, but yeah, I'm I did. I did, and I loved it. I'm terrified every day that it'll vanish and and like literally my life's work will disappear. <laughs> there I might also be something a little beautiful uh, for, uh, that as well. But so yeah, you yeah. did a project called Inventory, where yeah, you took so, a picture of every single thing you owned, and then yeah, put a, a caption a with it. Yeah, I wrote a paragraph about each object, but kind of obliquely. So it wasn't like as explicit as here's my keyboard. Here's a story about my keyboard. It's just yeah. like it would be like a photo of me and the keyboard. And then it would have some pretentious title. It was like every title was started with the word regarding. So it was like regarding spelling my name or something, you know, and it would be like this kind of um, abstract interpretation of whatever title I'd come up with that maybe had something to do with the photo, maybe not. Um, and it was, so I'd write a paragraph every day. And that was a project that was um, really to battle my fear of sharing my work. <laughs> that, okay. um, I'm a perfectionist and I don't actually like the process of publishing and sharing. I, I prefer to keep things to myself, but that's not like how you make a career. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have readers and to have a book in the world, but like my, my instinct is to actually keep it to myself. So, so you decided to show off everything instead of nothing. Exactly. And <laughs> well, and it was an interesting constraint to work with because I thought, okay, I don't actually know how many things I own. So this could last four years or two years like i'm like mm -hmm. I, i'm pretty minimal so it wasn't 
I was like, I know this will end at some point, but I don't know when it'll end. Mm-hmm. And I and if I decide I have to do it every day, then I will. And mm-hmm. I did do that. So, um, and it would just go up every day. So it's like, I couldn't, even if I spent all day working on it, which I didn't, um, I just made a rule that it had to go up by midnight. <laughs> and just somewhere that within hel- that 24 hour time frame. Yeah. And so that helped me to not overthink it. I just thought, well, it's imperfect. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, you know, it's like exposure therapy in a way. It's like you, you know, expose yourself to this feeling of, oh, I might be failing. It might be bad. What if someone judges me? And it's like, it doesn't really happen that way. <laughs> people yeah. like it. You know, people like when you mm-hmm. share. Um, so I started with seriously like four followers. And by the end of the two years, I had like 15,000. Oh, <laughs> so That's awesome. It was crazy. So it really did. Like I, that really was such a good lesson for me of, um, you know, how when you are consistent with something, it can catch on actually. So that's, that's always been my mentality towards art is, is like buck the trends. Don't try to mimic what's popular now because it'll become, you know, obsolete immediately. And then you'll have nothing to show for, you know, your work. And, uh, I I won't bore you with the details because we talked about it on the, on the Christopher Norris episode. So when you get to that, you'll you'll hear most of it, but similar deal. It was a, it was a project that was forcing me to complete, a certain amount of thing Leo you know, I had to shoot one roll film per month in order to fit a yeah. new film photo every day cool. uh, just to be able to post that and uh, Chris actually checked it out and and sent me like a very very kind message about it just saying like I absolutely like he's like I want to put on a VR headset and just let it scroll oh, these cool. photos and uh, you know and he goes I I appre- like I appreciate and respect time spent and I think oh, that's yeah, such an interesting totally. way to look at art is time spent you know and and you know macro projects over micro projects and it's uh you know same thing with the you know just setting yourself to a task and just like getting it done and then like did it also stop you from acquiring new things did you be like in some ways yeah Yeah, if i if i bought this is it going to add another day to this project (laughs) yeah well i lived in um you know the room that I, my husband and I lived shared in a very tiny two, it was, was technically two bedrooms, Okay. but the room was, I think six feet by eight feet. So it's extremely small That's awful. and all my stuff fit in it. So it was like, you know, <laughs> one big thing of shelving, but even just that is like, I think the project was 600 objects, something around there. So it's yeah. like I had 600 individual things um, in that room, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the habit of collecting things. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a collector. I even get rid of books, which people think is, like, sacrilegious. Like, writers are like, how could you get rid of a book? Yeah. Um, I get rid of them all the time. But we also and... know the people who have their books, like, stacked floor to ceiling, mm-hmm. and your yeah, room yeah. just gets so smaller and smaller. Yeah, what a, yeah, what a I don't miserable like that. thing. Yeah, I don't what? like that. I like to keep the books that I know I'm going to reread again and mm. again. And 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 then even even then if it's like a book that I know is going to stay in print, I might even still get rid of it and buy it mm. later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like collecting, actually. Yeah, one of the most so. cathartic things I ever did was get rid of most of my records. I mean like all my records at one point and then all wow. my books. Tired, yeah. like yeah yeah it feels good in a and way. then you complained to me when you tried to go back to some of those records <laughs> it's true yeah. it's true uh you always forget like how many things are not in print anymore and like yeah not on i know Spotify. i know that does happen <sighs> yeah. 
Dan, did I have I ever talked on the podcast about my Tumblr project? No, I don't think so. Um, oh, wow, we're all Tumblr people. That's I kind did of amazing. A, I did a Tumblr project, which is actually kind of a funny story in and of itself. But I did a Tumblr project where I I always thought like I think I could write about music. Like I think I could be a music writer. Yeah. And so I would pick a different record every day, and I would listen to it a few times, and then write like three or four oh, paragraphs wow. about it. Um, and I think I got to like day three hundred of three sixty five, um, and then started the process of getting divorced. So I just wasn't <laughs> in the mindset to be the yeah. headspace to be able to do it. But um, it's hard to do something daily. You, you should just I mean? crank like, out yeah. the, the oh last sixty five records. You know, there were I, I have thought about <laughs> just it's become this it, podcast but, essentially. Yeah, there you go. It's the continuation. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of is. It's it was really hard. It was it's funny that you you would say like you know as long as it was up by midnight because there were there were definitely days where I was like yo it's eleven p.m. fuckwad like you gotta <laughs> yeah, get this. Out. I know. Same. I would do the same thing. Oh man, there's something about um, discipline though when it comes to art. Sometimes that it's it's a necessity, yeah. or else it'll never never happen. Yeah, you have to, I think you have to work within deadlines and constraints in some way, or else, I don't know, unless you're super just self-motivated. But yeah. I'm pretty motivated, but I have to work within a time constraint yeah. in some yeah. way. Well, actually, Any- so just to wrap the inventory thing real quick, uh, you ended the project, and then you read it, uh, you were involved with Marina Abramovic, which is insane. How, <laughs> yeah, did, how did it catch her attention? How did you work with her foundation? Uh, and then, yeah, if you want to sum up, like, the, I guess, the antithesis or the end, the conclusion to that project yeah. ended it in, like, a performance art piece, essentially, right? Yeah. I was, um, it's kind of a crazy story. <clears throat> it doesn't we, really we sound real. crazy stories. Um, I'll try and keep it short, too, but it's kind of complicated. It's just, um, in, so as I was writing inventory, that was, like, my main thing. Um, that it, Well, it's what I was doing every day, but I was still writing essays behind the scenes that it wasn't sharing so inventory was like my public thing and then i was working on essays behind the scenes i published a chat book um which is just uh, you know usually it's a poetry thing um where you'd publish a few poems in a small zine or book and you'd call it a chat book but this press called future tense published a chat book of mine that was just one essay it was called pity the animal and it was about basically how to draw the line between a human, an animal, and an object, if you can sell all of those things in certain ways. So if you can commodify, like, a woman's body, for instance, or if you can sell an animal and you can buy an object in kind of similar ways, like, what, how do you distinguish the difference between them? And so I was doing a lot of research, and my research led me to performance art in kind of the ways that Marina Abramovich and some other people commodified their bodies in certain ways. Um... You know, there's this famous performance, Rhythm Zero, where she put all these objects on a table and then let the gallery participants use the objects on her. There was like a loaded gun at one point <laughs> that people put at her neck. It's um, it's a crazy fucking story. Like if you if you I urge people to go read about it because it's it's even crazier than someone could like describe how it got yeah, so out it's, of hand. It's, yeah, it's insane. And um I was really, really fascinated by this as someone who had actually never really studied art in a serious way. I'd studied journalism and I was kind of, you know, in college, I just got into literature. Like I wasn't even a big reader. (laughs) It was just like, (laughs) I seem naturally pretty good at writing. Maybe I could be a journalist. Like I was just kind of moving along in certain ways, but 
around the time I was writing and doing this research, I just thought, oh my gosh, this performance art is blowing my mind. This is like insane. It's helping me write. Seeing her at the at MoMA do that famous um, now kind of memed performance, the artist is present. I uh, loved it. Yeah, I just I loved listened it at the to. Time. I think it's the podcast, the art art insider. I think I forget that's what. Oh, the art the art angle. I think it is. It's really good. Okay. Uh, and they just talked to her about kind of the artist and present is present and uh, that whole kind of her career and it's really yeah. really interesting. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm so bummed. That was like that happened right before I think I moved to New York or like the New York area. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It. It's kind of crazy that I ended up witnessing it because I did not know who she was when I went there. Oh, like wow. when did that you, was happening, I just went. Actually, sit down with her. No, no, I didn't okay. sit down with her. I would, I, I wouldn't have dared. Honestly, I, I just was like, she this is seen, so intimidating. She would have seen right through you. And, <laughs> yeah, and she would have like, known that you're like, you don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, she, would, she would not have any issue with that. She, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I just, you know, became really um, just amazed with her work. And I honestly, by the time I finished this essay that had some references to her performances in it, I felt personally, I owed so much to her work. Um you know, for kind of teaching me about certain things and helping me understand certain concepts I was researching that I just kind of thoughtlessly, you know, without thinking too much, I mean, just put um, a copy of the chapbook in the mail to the Institute, um, which at the time was the Marina Abramovich Institute. And I just wrote a note <clears throat> saying, you know, I wrote a little bit about Marina. I just thought I'd send it to you guys, you know, thanks, thanks for putting her work in the world. And um, shortly after that, I was invited to, like, work with them. <laughs> so I didn't get a job or anything. They were just, it was like a volunteer thing where they were doing this um, website called Immaterial. Um, and I was kind of helping with that and some resources. Um, but then I got to meet her. And um, I worked on the next exhibition that she did. So I was actually working at the gallery, like, with this other performance she did called Generator. Um so I did actually get to know her, That's incredible. <laughs> like, work with her and train with her um, and do these like endurance exercises that we all had to do. Um, and it totally changed my life and like how I approached writing. So I think about it all the time. That's <laughs> and, so fucking um, cool. Yeah. So, you know, I was working on this inventory project and then I, and so I was kind of in the group then, you know, I was like in touch with all these people that worked with Marina and all these other performance artists. And it just got me thinking, like, what could I do to push that boundary in the same way that Marina pushes her, that boundary in, in a performance way? And um, I had an idea to just read the whole project aloud. So I read for seven hours <laughs> straight <laughs> without, did, without did stopping. Any, any water breaks at all? I had a glass of apple juice, which keeps your, you know, the saliva going. Interesting. Um, so I had a cup of apple juice, which I still do at shorter readings. Like, it helps me a lot not get dry mouth from being nervous. Um, and I fainted at one point. Wow. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't leave. <laughs> so I fainted. I got back up. It was like, it was live streamed and everything. So it's kind wild. of exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to find uh, a video of it, and it seems like the immaterial site is down. I think I have it on a hard drive somewhere. Someone asked me to put it on on a website, and I just told them, "Don't worry, it's not it's not very good anyway. Like you know, <laughs> it's not well, it's, the it's type the, of thing that needs to be seen. Honestly, I mean, it's, it's like it's the it's more or less the audiobook of your Tumblr project. So yeah, I mean, I should put it back <laughs> online, but me personally, I'm kind of like it. You got me, me interested. 
to me, it's very of the era. Like, I, okay. it's not something I would do now. It's to me, I was like, I want to do something big, something intense. And how can I do that? And um, they they just helped me with the resources of like, oh, this film festival is going on. You want to do it in this room and we'll live stream it. And I was like, yeah. sure, let's do hey, it. Like, You get that opportunity. You don't like say no to it. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's incredible. And to, to think that this started as a project I did with my digital camera in my room alone um, for three followers on Tumblr. It was just like, okay, so <laughs> putting work into the world does have good results. <laughs> like yeah. that was kind of the logical result of that, which really influences a lot of what I do now where it's like, you know, with Rose books, like trying to create a platform for people um, and put their work into the world. Like I see that as part of that process and that history for me. Gotcha. That's fucking rad. Well, I mean, we're about that time that people have skipped ahead to now at this point. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about dance on the blacktop? Uh, we can we can go back and reference real quick why we called you, uh, you know, uh, a semi-current model. Uh, and that's because <laughs> you are the figure on the on the front of this record. Yeah, so when you asked me what record, that's the only record that I have on my wall. Because I like looking at that image. And um, <laughs> uh, so it just, I, ran, I kind of randomly picked it. Like, I love it, but I was like, okay, I have to pick a pick an album for this podcast. I'm going to choose that one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just that so one. <laughs> it was very funny because I knew your husband, Mark McCoy, uh, yeah. art directed the, the cover. And then yeah. I was reading through like the Wikipedia on the record and, or I think I saw it on your page. Actually, I think I was scrolling through your page Yeah, and you're like, Oh, I'm on the cover of the new nothing record. I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You're like she just wanted to talk about that. <laughs> so yeah, you're the you're the person so you on the cover. That's, fit that's, in that's... perfectly here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're all so, narcissists over here. It's great. I just thought, why not? Because I do. I mean, I love that record, and I ended up writing like the album bio um, for the the following record, the the Great Dismal okay. thing. So um, I got to know Nikki a little more. It's like I didn't I didn't know them at all um, when we shot this cover. Nikki mm -hmm. was on set with us. Um, but, um, and then our friend, um, Ryan Lowry did the photograph mm -hmm. for it. So, um, I didn't, yeah. So I didn't really have a reference for what the band was even like then, but oh, I really wild. liked Nikki in person. I liked his vibe. And then I, once I read the lyrics, I was really on board. So yeah. I really, be I became a fan as a yeah. result of being so on the cover. <laughs> Funny, funny, and that's a really funny way to get into a band. Also, I don't want to let that one slide <laughs> under the radar. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually, I believe we may have met re like uh, residually because I was at the release party for this. Okay, I was in, there too. Yeah, in yeah, Soho I know what you're talking at the, about. At the Sono store. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was think, there. I think I introduced myself to Mark uh, because oh, they shouted okay. him out. And yeah. I believe you were probably, you know, most likely right next to him. As yeah, well, yeah. So. I, I maybe even remember that a little. Like I think I, I think I remember someone coming up. So I think I was probably right there, but I wouldn't that's have been so like funny. and I'm and I'm Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't think I, would. <laughs> I mean you should have been like, that's me on I'm the cover. Sure, I'm you know? sure you wanna meet me as well. <laughs> but it's just so funny how the world is so small that, you know, we've oh, we've know. come back no, around to this. That's but, so cool. And that was a that was a cool night. That was a fun night, and it was just like, oh, like, I, yeah, I should. I, I ended up bumping in the friends there I hadn't seen in years. 
uh it was like a really cool like little group and they showed like i think they showed one of the videos for the first single and they yeah. did like they shot like behind the scenes video of them recording it and it was just like a little cool thing and they had the little q a uh it was yeah. it was a fun night and i think there was um there was free beer too which was also nice mm. <laughs> I, love some free beer. I have a picture i took a picture of aaron hurd like in the in the stairwell there at some point on my on my camera that I gotta yeah. dig up somewhere. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm glad I chose this record. Then I didn't know you. I, you know, I didn't know you had any connection there. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's very. So yeah, I mean, so dig a little deeper in the why you chose it. Outside of the fact that you you like to see yourself on the wall. <laughs> I know I sound so ridiculous. <laughs> um, no, I just you know I think it's um, like you mentioned. I just think it's such a strange way to become a fan of a record. Um, is that way, but. I just really, really resonate with um, uh, mentioning Nikki, but for anyone that doesn't know, I'm talking about the lead singer and songwriter, Mm -hmm. Um, but his approach to lyric writing and songwriting is just really, really interesting to me. Um, And just the themes that he... um, that he approaches and encompasses um, of just this idea that there is a lot of darkness and this kind of void that of human existence and the world but there's also beauty to be experienced and to be appreciated and that's something that i think just really resonates with me and my writing as well Mm -hmm. and that's something that i'm just really really drawn towards it's not this total nihilistic like gloom and doom and nothing is worth anything (laughs) you know not Mm -hmm. to use the word nothing but um but that there is um, art to be made. There's things to be appreciated, and I just think the songs are great. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I don't have a super uh, intellectual look at this. I think I just really, really ap- appreciate the music, and I like the way he he writes lyrics. I think you can. I think even that night that at that release party, he was talking about kind of literary influences, and he's a big reader, and I just feel like I kind of see that. Um, so. I just, you know, I interviewed him for when I wrote the album bio um, for the the Great Dismal, their following record. And um, I got some insight that way. And I feel like that helps me appreciate it even more. That's mm. really cool. It, I think this listen um, over the past couple of days, the, the, my biggest takeaway, not that I want to like front load this, but my biggest takeaway was just how beautiful those lyrics are like how beautiful that poetry is um he does so many things that like i think i would like stick my nose up at if it was other if it was like other points of view but just the 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 simple things the way he like describes living in a in a in a major city is like you know totally it's beautiful you know i had when i moved to new york one of the first feelings i felt was like isolation you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're around millions of people, and like you're also an an island floating by other islands, and yeah, um, yeah. It's just it's so you know it, it those lyrics get so dark, um, and then there's you know even musically there's a resolution to the end of everything on this mm-hmm. record, which I think is like a nice, beautiful little bow. Yeah. For those who can't see me, I just tied an air bow. Yeah, <laughs> tied a bow. <laughs> Yeah, get that visual element there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have met Nikki. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, like right outside of Philadelphia. Um, so we're, I guess, you know, probably went to a lot of the same shows. Um, and I and I loved horror show. For anybody who who has never listened to horror show, 
um, Harsha was like light years ahead of every other hardcore band. Um, they used to do the most, it, like their merch was wild, uh, like really fashion forward merch at a time where like, I don't think anybody did that. Um, and they also used to do wild things like hide shirts all over the city for people to find. <laughs> um, I remember oh, finding yeah. one, like I think on a, on a local hardcore message board, uh, like he just put an address or something or like a cross street <laughs> in Philadelphia. And there was like a horror show shirt in a city paper box. Um, <laughs> that rips. I think I sold it for a couple hundred dollars. Sorry. For anybody <laughs> who listens. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing. I remember seeing them for the first time opening for death heaven at the mm. Barbary in Philly. When Deaf Heaven was still playing the Barbary. I think Sunbather had just come out maybe like a few days before and nothing opened. I think Wreck and Reference, no, Marriages opened for, were the opener and nothing was support. And Marriages with the, was Emma Ruth Rundle, her, her band is, was incredible. So that show was stacked, but I think, I don't think Guilty of Everything were out yet. It was still Downward Years to Come, the, their EP. Yeah. And uh, I just remember them playing so loud <laughs> and in, in, you know, proper shoegaze fashion, just blasting yeah. everything in that tiny room. <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, picking up the first record, the first LP, Guilty of Everything, and just blown away. Like, such a good yeah. record. You call um, this shoegaze? Really? I would definitely call the first LP shoegaze for sure. Mm. Like, Absolutely. I don't think I don't think I make a shoegaze connection. Like some of the some of the instrumentation, sure. Like it's a guitar rock record, but like I don't know that I think it's shoegaze. It's like it falls in the shoegaze dream pop kind of thing, you know? Just loud and airy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it's like dense and light at the same time. It's 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 pretty wild. But and also seeing it live is such, you know, an experience too. Uh, I've I've caught them a few times during uh, never never like while this record came out, but the first two LPs. But yeah, I think this is kind of the record I fall out on a little bit, which mm-hmm. is why it was nice to revisit it for the pod. Uh, but I also revisited the other two records uh, before this. It was like, eh, I think I think guilty of everything's still mine. Like some of the songs on there, are like same deal with lyricism. I mean, reading the lyrics for this record made me appreciate it a lot more too because it is very poetic and very yeah. you know it's worded so well and it's the way he delivers the lines are really you know well done and, and spaced and it just fits but uh you know songs like B&E and stuff on that first record or like Bent Nail are just perfect they're so good yeah. Yeah. but yeah and then The Great Dismal I need to revisit as well I didn't even have time to get to that but that that has like an even more uh, I described it as sounding a little bit like, um, oh my god, uh, who did I describe it as, Andrew? And you, you got mad at me. It just flew <laughs> out of my head. Silver Sun pickups. <laughs> Silver Sun does. I don't get it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that band actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see how long I could sit here and just smile before anybody was like what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah, like, that's, um, that's a great experiment <laughs> no. on a podcast to do yeah it was great um <laughs> do it a couple more times what yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I described this as it, whenever Andrew stops talking, I'm going to start talking and, and yeah, yeah. Like it even more. <laughs> don't let, don't let him win. I just I I described this as a sleepier effort. <laughs> it's my note here. Yeah, I can see that. Really? Oh yeah, it's a little sleepier. I think I honestly I think Zero Day as great, an album opener. Great opener. Unbelievable. That hard panned clean guitar all the but way to the right and all then the records else have great in. openers. Him uh it's him honestly, to the, yeah. Him to the uh, Pillory is I an insane album opener. It's so good. Yeah, it just and what's hits the, so hard. What's the album opener on uh Tired of Tomorrow? I was Fuck, just gonna so look good. at that to um Fever Queen. Fever Queen. And then it goes right in the Dead or Dark. Right in the Vertigo yeah. Flowers and, and then, then Vertigo ACD Flowers. and then ninety nine Heaven. It's like a perfect A side of a record. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know. I think, um, I think Blacktop is flawless. He, honestly, you like, think? yeah. There's there's one song that I think I, you know, uh, skipped very lightly. Uh, I would say forty percent of the time. But okay. I think on like it, it's really hard to put this record on and not immediately fall into the vibe of this record. Like, yeah. You know, you know when you when you get into the ocean and the first wave hits you, and then you're just like, I don't ever want to get out. Yeah. Um, or at least that's my experience. I feel like that's exactly this record. Like as soon as the feedback comes in and that drum, go 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 go, I like I'm in and and I'm good for the next what forty minutes. Yeah. Hundred percent. What? Uh, yeah. What? What's the song you skip? I don't know. I, Nikki might listen to this. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Um, it doesn't seem like only, the type to go on a podcast. I'm just um, gonna say, uh, "Hail on uh, Palace Pier" is the only song okay. I skip on this record. I mean that that does have the well, the second lowest plays on Spotify. Oh, people geez. people be why skipping you, that last track a little bit. Out? The last track's great. It is good. Yeah, uh, Carpenter's Son right before it. Holy shit! What a great yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I tell you that I I was real real stoned last night listening to this and uh, <laughs> and and my immediate thought was like if this came out in 1994 like this band would be huge uh, this would be an arena band um, it like it's it, it's so stylistically of a certain era but at the same time it it fits it sort of feels timeless at the same time you could yeah. tell me that this record you know came out in the in the late 80s and they toured with like uh wire or something mm -hmm. and i would totally believe it um but like yeah just what an, what an incredible piece of art <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i looked uh i was like reading into it a bit because there is some this really good article i think for diy mag who like had him break down every track Ooh. a bit uh, and give kind of a little paragraph or two on on what each one's about, but he said the the record's mainly influenced by jail and CTE. He was um he was diagnosed with like an early stage of CTE, and it was kind of like dealing with the diagnosis and like kind of having that heavy weight of like knowing something is mentally wrong with you and actually having it like diagnosed, you know. And uh, just kind of that weight that you you kind of lift, but also were weighed down by, by knowing. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting way. Then, like, going through the lyrics, I'm like, you can kind of feel that. And the same deal with, like, drugs and, like, Blue Line Baby. And just, like, talking about, like, addiction and the the elevated train in Philly. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I I thought that was the L in Brooklyn. No, there's a song about New York too, though. That oh, he talks about I, the L train, but Blue Line Baby apparently they call oh, the L right. in Philly the Blue Line, which I wasn't yeah, even yeah, yeah. aware of. But uh, but yeah, there is a song that references the L train. I think uh, yeah, there's a line from that song that I really really love. Uh, what song is that? Because I'm really what curious. the L train song? Yeah, I will tell you. It is. <laughs> is it Hail on Pi- Palace Pier? No, it's not. It's uh, I hate the flowers. Okay, I do love that song. That that's yeah. up there with ACD in terms of uh, like tracks that really rip. ACD. But, uh, the ACD on Tired of Tomorrow. Mm obsessive compulsive disorder mm. um but yeah there's a line on i hate the flowers that says uh shook out of heaven fell into hell mm. and i think that's such a just a concise line that's so good and descriptive but yeah i think you're like you know you're you're both right in the sense that this is poetry you know yeah yeah so, so, i'm a, i'm i'm always drawn to lyrics first so <laughs> i i'm a lyrics person as well i believe andrew you, you're a little less so sometimes right i think lyrics are secondary to me honestly. really i mean yeah, not, i can understand that i think I that's think, just how my brain is i think vibe is first and i oh, and i don't mean to like i don't know yeah I, there, there's no other way to describe it other than like if i feel it i feel it i don't know if you two have listened to the new lana del rey record i, have I love the lana stopped. del rey Listen, listening to the new Donna Del Rey record, it's one of the most incredible pieces of art I've ever heard in my life. I can't dig you know, into it. Really? I, could, I, I feel like that was my second thing, and I was like, I feel like that's not a cool pick for this podcast. Oh, I, was, I think it's a like, very that was like, cool. I was like, the vibe I'm getting is not that. Like, I, I go can, on and talk about Lana Del Rey. <laughs> I could talk oh, no. about. I could talk about uh, the first Lana Del Rey record all day. Which one's the first one? Uh, Born to Die. Born to Die. I've I've never. The only two I've ever listened to are Norman fucking Rockwell, and then <laughs> and then the. Uh, Tunnel under Ocean Boulevard or whatever it's called. You yeah. love Sleepy Time records, though. I love it. I, I love Sleepy it. Time music. It's a it's a strange it's a strange record. The new one. Yeah. It's like not what I don't know. It's not what I expected as a fan. Um, but like, but yeah, uh, but yeah, that is um a record that's like lyrics first for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I also, mean, it, but that's a good vibe record too. Yeah, it starts off with one of the most beautiful lines I've ever heard anybody sing. I'm gonna yeah. take mine of you with me. And it's like which you don't get until later, you, where it's yeah, like talking about memories. Yeah, it's it's good. God, it's good. I love it. I'm I'm getting. A, I want to damn put it on right now. Um, <laughs> We're just gonna listen through and in, in yeah, we'll just, silence. Uh, sorry, my, Nikki. My we changed is, direction. My episode is nothing slash Lana Del Rey. <laughs> oh man, you know it's um, very funny because a lot of the women we've had on this podcast have. Uh, have almost picked Lana Del Rey, and then have felt it's too on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like. I feel like you either love her or you don't, and it's like you don't really need to talk about it. <laughs> That's kind you of know, thing. It's like, you know, it doesn't, I don't know if it requires that much elaboration on my part. <laughs> there's I just love actually, her. <laughs> I think there's actually an interesting point to be made here about nothing and Lana Del Rey. Both <laughs> very vibe heavy records. God, I need to think of another way to say this instead of just saying vibe Vibes, over bro. and over again. But vibe like, <laughs> there's, um, you know, they're both those records. As soon as you put them on, you like sit, and they just fill the room around you. And like, you know, it's such it's such a beautiful experience listening to both these records. Um, Lana Del Rey, I don't necessarily believe her. I believe about eighty percent of like 
You know what I mean? Like I believe about eighty well, percent of the per- of the persona. That's kind of the whole um, thing about Lana Del Rey. Is there is like a bit of an uncanny disconnect about like. Right. What? I mean, people know that she's yeah. you know she's like the daughter of a record executive. Yeah. You know what's her name? Lizzie something. And I, Grant. I, and I Lizzie Grant. Yeah. I don't think it cheapens. You know, it doesn't change my experience of the record. I just yeah. like I listen to it in a different way. Whereas you know when I listen to the Nothing records, I'm like. Like, this is real. You know what I mean? Like, there's no interpreting this as anything other than, like, somebody who has lived an insanely interesting life and, like, you know, gone through the best and the worst and came out, like, and made beautiful art based on, you know, that lived experience. Um, and, and, And in the same way that I don't think Lana Del Rey has that lived experience, but is able to make beautiful art about like i guess the supposition of a beautiful experience if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that you know i mentioned i came to really like nothing because of the lyrical element of you know things might be bad things might the world might be a void (laughs) um but look at this thing that's like beautiful or like i'm gonna make something beautiful out of it I think that's something that I'm drawn to about Lana Del Rey too. So I think that's just something that amongst def- many different genres, books, <laughs> movies, mm-hmm. it's like, that's just kind of my thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, I like, um, I like people that get to the intensity of like real darkness, mm-hmm. but don't give up. <laughs> intensity <laughs> you know? is the perfect way to word it too. Um, Cause it's, I mean, I the, like, I most of the nothing records I feel like there's a point where it sort of lets up a little bit and I don't feel that way about blacktop or or actually the mm-hmm. great dismal I think um I think those two records back to back are some you're you're like watching an artist's strongest output um you know and I, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with like experience of, of making records and you know this is blacktop's what fourth the fourth full length, third full length, third. Okay, you know, by the time you're in your third and fourth full length, like you sort of know what you're doing. Um, yeah. But being able to like conjure those emotions um, in a new and exciting way just proves like how incredible of an artist um, Nikki is. Yeah, totally, totally. The uh, yeah, it's I I was it was tough for me to kind of get a good listen in on this. Uh, and kind of, Yo, if you don't like it, just say you don't. No, like no, it. that's not. That's not true. Um, I mean, it's it's just trying to find the right situations to put this on, and it's in the city. It's been like super bright and like sunny and warm out, and this isn't like a bright, sunny, warm record. Um, I disagree, and it's not necessarily like a good driving record either. I, I tired of tomorrow was a good summertime record. I feel mm. this one's a little little different, and uh, but today I listened to it while walking through the Christie's auction preview, Ooh. and I think it really set in there. Like it really That's kind an of interesting setting. <laughs> yeah, it's good walking through the contemporary art exhibit music, yeah, and uh, just kind of letting it like wash over you. Then with like beautiful visuals. Um, was really really cool i was actually telling andrew uh, earlier on the phone that like uh i don't i don't know if you're familiar with this or took advantage of it when you were living in new york but one of the best free art things you can do is go to 
Christie's or Sotheby's or any of the auction houses previews for their auctions because all the work that's going to be sold is on the wall on display wow a lot more accessible than you'd have in a museum and a lot of this work is stuff that's never going to be seen in public in your lifetime again yeah because it's just going to go to a private collection or most likely just go directly to art storage and just some incredible incredible stuff that like you won't see in a museum and like today i actually had a moment where i like forgot to take a breath because I turned a corner and they had a one of two print of William Eggleston's tricycle photo. Oh, wow. Like the beginning of snapshot photography, like yeah, just un unreal. Like I, I like sat with it for a second. Like it was crazy. And they also had like Dan Arbus's 10 photos, uh, yeah. the original like, box of 10 photos portfolio. Wow. They had, a diptych of Richard Prince and Cindy Sherman, like dressed as each other. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, no, I've never thought to do that. And that's so interesting. Wild shit. It's so, it's so cool. Didn't and you say all... you spit on a Basquiat? When I could have spit on a Basquiat. <laughs> I, I did not. Have could have. They did have okay. arm security. Thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I could have, if I wanted to get my ass beat. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> it's yeah. like a nice Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, you know, it's not too bad. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a uh, it's a really cool thing. Sotheby's is even bigger than Christie's. It's it's crazy, but wow. it, you can literally walk up within inches of like a like a de Kooning that's going for like an estimated eighty million dollars. You know? <laughs> oh my god, that's so wild. Yeah, wow. and also like if if you probably have the deep enough pockets, you can like ask them to take it to like an inspection room or whatever Ooh, and they like blacklight yeah, it yeah. and stuff i saw the back of a monet Whoa. like they took a monet off the wall and i saw the back of it like who the fuck's seen the back of a monet <laughs> besides That's like so an art cool. handler yeah. uh it's a really really cool experience <laughs> it's it's definitely worth checking out uh i think the contemporary art showing will probably be down by the time this comes out but mm. uh definitely what like loss well i mean they, they have all kind of, they do like a lot of eastern art stuff like you can check they always have stuff on display wow. like but it's, it's such European. a cool like f there's always like cool free things to do in new york is always such like a good list to have and that's that's totally. one of them. also the avadon exhibit i gotta i gotta shout out because that will be oh. up while it's here there's an avadon exhibit at gagosian on 21st and it was one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life it was cool. just gigantic gigantic prints of like he had, he did one of alan ginsburg's family a family portrait of Alan Ginsberg, and it's unreal. There's like a f American flag in the corner. It's so crazy, and wow. it's it's two eight by ten frames that they like put together, and there's like overlap. Like someone's face is like Alan Ginsberg's face is cut in half and like repeated on one side because he literally <laughs> moved his eight by ten camera over to get the rest of the family in. <laughs> wow. It's unreal. It's so so fucking cool. So yeah, go listen to this record while walking through an art gallery. I love that. And I think I, I do listen to this record while I drive. I'm, you know, I love, yeah. I, I, I'll just drive around and daydream and think about writing stuff. So I like to have certain soundtracks on and I do, I do like this one for driving. So, okay. I listen to nothing a lot when I smoke weed. Um, but other than that, um, 
I remember putting it on. Dan, close your ears for a second. I remember putting it on <laughs> while walking through the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Um, and I was like walking through the roses, listening to Tired of Tomorrow. And I was like, this fucks. That this sounds awesome. I love this. Okay, Dan, you can start listening again. Okay, thank you. As long as you don't listen to it while sitting next to the lily pad section. Yeah. As long as you're not getting broken up with listening to I'm sorry, Dan. I can't help myself. <laughs> you really can't. Chelsea, do you know that Dan got broken up? <laughs> I'm, I'm, ga- I'm, ga- I'm gathering this from context. He actually clues. started a novel about the experience and would like to pitch it to you on the, on air. Go ahead. Oh, wait. <laughs> I was gonna say that actually is a good essay. Listen, like, I self-published a photo book vaguely about it. Okay, it's it's my way of coping, turning it into beautiful res- respect, art. Respect, respect. You know? nothing but respect. <laughs> It's a book about her without being about her. So mm. that's the. Are, that's the aren't the they the all? If I can be honest, <laughs> still, still chasing that dream. Yeah. So is is would you say that nothing is like uh, an approachable band? Yes, I think. I don't know. I don't think in those terms. I don't think about what's approachable versus what's not. So I would say, you know, I find that I find it very listenable. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think. I'm probably not even as knowledgeable as I could be on the references or the inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, you know, I just I I like what I like, and I think um, I find it accessible in that way. Yeah, so. I don't I don't think it's a challenging record necessarily. Um, just yeah. because like, I don't it's think so, I would describe it as that. Yeah, just because it's so beautiful, I, I would never yeah. think it's a challenging yeah. record. Um, I do, I do, I did today think like you know what what about people who like don't have never listened to like people who've never listened to slow dive or people who've never listened to my bloody Valentine, which yeah. I know I said, this isn't a shoegaze record. And I just named two shoegaze bands mm-hmm. back to back, but um, you know, people who've never listened to like early smashing pumpkins, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of the just like hyper melodic guitar rock music. Yeah. Um, but I, I would definitely like my bloody Valentine is also like a chasm away from slow dive in terms of listenability too. Oh, huge. You know, like slow dive, sure. I feel like an average person could dig into or find something to like about it. But sure. you know, for, for the uninitiated, my bloody Valentine, at least their first, you know, loveless or the records before that, like, uh, you know, that, that could be a little more challenging. I don't care for my, my bloody Valentine. Uh, they 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 got some good stuff. It's it, but again, it's like something you have to like be in the mood to listen to because mm. it is. There's so much going on. It's like an audio like oversaturation. Like it's it's a sensory overload a little bit. All right, which what is kind of what they what were going no- for. You know, what do my notes look like? Um, God, I already. Went do you listen to anything um, else in this kind of genre or? you know section of guitar music um i have really varied taste so i just um well we know I you like, love lana del rey I, but it's mm. like i also like hardcore <laughs> like okay. listen to a lot of stuff like with mark in the car and stuff so it's like i i can't say that i'm like i'm definitely not if we're calling this shoegaze i'm not an expert on shoegaze i i like my bloody valentine but i probably couldn't name that many bands in that genre even <laughs> Like, I'm just, um, I'm not, like, one of these people that's super knowledgeable in really any area of music. I just, I like a lot of different kinds of music. So, okay. I'm sure everyone, everyone says that, but yeah. um, that's kind of, you know, my surface taste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think, Andrew, you had a point, though, like, they could have found their way onto, 
like the merge records catalog in no, the 90s not you, merge you i think, think so? like i think mid era caroline records um i think but merge I, I was thought, like ride and and you know swerve driver and all those bands but i don't <sighs> i would say they they fit pretty like this record fits a little closer to, to some you know swerve driver stuff yeah i mean for sure um i think if you made even the last swerve drive that reunion slow drive uh, swerve driver record mm-hmm. i think if, if you turned up the guitars on that you sort of start to get close mm-hmm. but yeah i i i it's so it's so easy to like paint very broad influences about like the nothing catalog you know what i mean there's a very obvious just you know super melodic guitar music um but if you if you really start to be like, well, it's definitely influenced by you know, and start naming bands, it's like, well, actually, it doesn't sound that much like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Re- it's real easy to to show influences. It's really hard to show the math mm-hmm. when you actually like sit there and listen to the record, though. Which I think, which I think is what makes it feel timeless. I think yeah. it feels like it's a contemporary of you know those bands we were talking about from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like I think I don't. I, it almost sounds like it's it's one of their peers and mm-hmm. not written 20 years later, 30 years later. Well, have I'm you listened time, to so. Death of Lovers? Huh? Me? De- oh, <laughs> well, either of I, you. I have it. Um, <laughs> no. Death of Lovers, it's uh it's Nikki's like other side project. I think he did it with Nick Bassett, but it's like a more indie rock kind of record. Oh cool. Mm. I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, Quite yeah. It. I think I think there's a couple. I think they have two albums, maybe. Let me. Is it see. similar in any way? I don't remember. It's not That's... like the uh, American Nightmare and Cold Cave. Totally different. <laughs> they have a lot of listeners. All right, here's the top song. This is not the album I listened to. This is from 2018. This is not what I remember Death of Lovers sounding like. This is very 80s sounding. I was going to say, I think you accidentally played Pet Shop Boys instead. It's, it sounds like um, Color Film, that Daryl Palumbo project that sounds like this. I'm curious when the vocals kick in. The Roto Toms are so good. I'm going to listen to the record I remember i like that yeah this is the first record they did which it's not that this much sounds of a this sounds closer to my bloody valentine yeah this is great send this to me please <laughs> yeah i'm, yeah, I'm really starting like to that. think that that other death of, death of lovers records might not be it might be a spotify crossover issue maybe you know what happens when two bands are the same and it oh no it says written by dominicky palermo and nick bassett <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's credited to so i guess they did an, an 80s rototom record as well as I mean, a dream cool. pop record everybody should that's everybody at do at least one you know <laughs> i don't i think i like guitars i i like guitars i mean i do There's, like electronics and things. yeah and i get 
uh, just like anybody else, I get bored of. That's why know, I love that first but... Lana Del Rey record. She's she's got some good beats on there, you know. Yeah, no that's guitars. True. She had, she also nailed it with the aesthetics on like the video games music video. It it uh, it launched a thousand Tumblr projects for sure. Oh, we should talk about the nothing music videos. Okay, all right. Because uh, their like visual representation of everything is it really amazing. It is really the good. first one I ever saw was Vertigo Flowers, which is great because it's mm-hmm. just people throwing buckets of paint on them while they stand there. Yeah. Which is like honestly my nightmare. Like being being Sticky. covered in anything <laughs> like that is a horrific idea. But <laughs> as would be getting walked in a coffin through uh, the, the Mummers Parade. People. Yeah. So that was the that was the video I think they showed at the release, um, which was really cool. But I think my first one I saw the the video for Bent Nail, uh, and I think they shot it at Boot and Saddle in in hmm. Philly. R.I.P. R.I.P. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, the zero is it the zero day video with the coffin. I think so. I think I think there was someone. a lot of questions at the Q and A about like what it was like to be in a coffin for like five hours or something. They carried <laughs> him around. <laughs> Crazy. And then there was uh, I didn't. I don't know if I saw any of the other videos that came off this record. But I, I like that they're making music videos. Yeah, and like, and the images are visceral images. Yeah. I mean. Well, that's what it sounds. So I think Dominic now, well, Nikki is Dominicky, uh, <laughs> is I guess the sole visionary of of nothing at this point. Because also the the other founding guitarist is no longer in the band as well. I know Aaron's not in the band. I think Doyle from Grown Ups slash Cloakroom is now the bass player. But uh, I believe Nick Bassett actually has some composition credits on the Great Dismal, which is interesting since he's not in the band anymore. But um. But yeah, I think he must be kind of the visionary at this point. You said he writes most, he does all the lyrics, and I guess he's doing a lot of the the actual music writing as well. So that's that's really yeah. Nice. And I've heard him, I've heard him talk about music videos. So I think like a lot of that is him as well. I'm kind that's of like crazy. the visual the visual aspect. I think is like a lot of his concepts and stuff. Yeah, it is. It is always interesting to see a band that is like someone's vision, and yeah. just like being able to have that kind of control. Or even that, just that kind of creativity to be able to like, here's the music in my head, here's mm-hmm. the vision that goes along with it, here's how we're going to execute it, or like know how to execute it. That's totally. like, people take that for granted. That's so hard to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, that's like writing a book by yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I can't, I've tried to write like that, and I make it like maybe a chapter, maybe two if I'm lucky, and I just can't. You know what I mean? I need that feedback from other people to know whether or not what I'm doing is worth continuing to do. Yeah. Um, and I maybe that just says something about how much I believe in my art. But yeah, when are we getting well, the, the great American novel from Andrew Valentine? Uh, I started it. Did, are you making fun of me because you know that? On my Google Drive, there's a folder called the Great American Novel. <laughs> I did not know that, but yeah, way, it's good. Way, it's, way to keep it low stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's right next to. I started to write a musical. Um, <laughs> yeah, started so much. Called, yeah, called um, I left um, I left ISIS for you the musical. Um, <laughs> I'll get it done one day, but. Yeah, I'm waiting for the I joined ISIS for you musical. Yeah, that's real devotion. I mean, he had to have joined ISIS to leave it, so who knows? (laughs) 
<laughs> um, anybody have final thoughts on uh, on uh, Dance on the Blacktop? I, I can tell you my final note. I, I wasn't going to say it. Now I feel like I have to because I just opened it again. Uh, it's about the song Us We Are. Mm-hmm. It just song. says Jugga Jugga Ja. Because I love that guitar part. It's like something I would have done. I was going to say, that's the guitar, 15. right? Jugga Ja, Jugga Ja. Yeah. So good. We, listen, we talked about Jud Jud too much on this podcast already. Yeah. More so than anybody else has, I'm sure. I mean, we. We're fans, um, <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I I I feel like I don't have the vocabulary to talk about how just beautiful this record is. Um, that's about all I have. Yeah, I mean, we we definitely have to mention that uh, we just did an episode with Dwid from Integrity, which uh, would have come out last week if you're listening to this, uh, and then I found out that nothing. Did a single in 2021 covering Misha, Those Who Fear Tomorrow, the early integrity song. And it's go. kind of a loose interpretation. They're definitely like adding more melody and more lyrics to it to kind of round it out. But it's a beautiful fucking song. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Do you remember when Cole Les covered the Get Up Kids? Oh, that was. I have that split. That's a great oh, seven inch. Great seven inch. <laughs> what, what Get Up Kids song did they cover again? Um, Come on second place second hold on because they called it something different when they cover each other's songs yeah they retitled them too oh um anyway not important oh it's so important (laughs) crucial uh well yeah chelsea what uh, what have you been listening to lately i think is a great round out question um the lana del rey record okay (laughs) what else um you know honestly the way that you talked dan about listening or like having a tv show on in the background Mm -hmm. i have this pod or not a podcast but a playlist that someone else made that i subscribe to it's called adhd techno focus and that's (laughs) my top my top played every year i don't have adhd but as far as i know but I when I edit and sometimes when I write too or like sending emails, it this just kind of like v- vocalless techno is what is usually in my ear. So that's the problem I have with talking about like my music taste and all these things I listen to. It's like I don't have time to listen to music in a thoughtful way a lot of the time. I'm usually like driving and listening to it. Or I'm at my computer listening to this random techno playlist. <laughs> like, I don't have any knowledge about techno, but I just came across this playlist and I noticed that it helps me think. <laughs> wow. So, um, so You'll have to send that re- to that, us. Maybe, that's maybe we'll the put, real answer. <laughs> maybe we'll post that up for our Patreon subscribers because that, that sounds really funny. Yeah, uh, that's and, the and real also, answer. Yeah, Chris Norris also mentioned how he mainly listens to like lo fi beats to study to these days as well. So, yeah, actually, okay, I believe yeah. his exact words were fucking spa, spa music. Spa music, yeah. Which spa rips music, that's so funny. hard. <laughs> I, um, I used to Just do acupuncture. I, I did acupuncture for a little bit and received it or, or gave it. Uh, I was on the receiving end. Okay. Of All the right. needles. Um, <clears throat> And the music they played in there was spa music, and I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah, it actually does something to your this. brain. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, there's something about the, those. Uh, yeah, those Eastern instruments that really, really tickle the right part of uh, the back of your head. You know, 
Chelsea, we'll have yeah. to have you come back on, and we'll we'll pick a spa music Go through my fifty track techno playlist. Yeah, we'll yeah, uh, we'll listen to pure done. moods, just uh, <laughs> hey. tub- tubular bells and uh, and some Enigma and, and Enya. Uh, and some Enya, and hell yeah! That's a great record, by the way. It, the pure moods fucking rips. It's, it, it's, listening to the twenty two minute version of Tubular Bells oh, is yeah. an experience. So you can get to the part that they use for the Exorcist theme, which is in try, there somewhere. Uh, try try being like. When did that come out? I would think I was like 11 years old. And oh, I was yeah. like, this is what music is? Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> so good. Um, but uh, yeah, Chelsea, hit us with the plugs. What, what should people check out? Oh, um, rosebooks.co. Um, that's where you can pre-order Jeff Rickley's book. Um, depending on when this comes out, Christopher Norris's um, novel, The Holy Day, will be available for pre-order later in May, so probably pretty soon. This will be out the um, 23rd, I believe. Should be up by then, so cool. check out rosebooks.co for more info. There's a mailing list on there, even if you don't want to buy anything yet, but you want to be involved or hear about stuff, you can do that. There's also Rosebooks merch you could represent. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> With a I'm logo to- by with a logo by Mark McCoy, which is you got that cool. uh, the pink the pink sweater, uh, right? Pink the sweater, pink, pink sweater, pullover. black shirt, black dad hat. Uh, <laughs> is there, if you put there's out no a pink... rose books tote. Not a tote. I feel like mm. you know, not to shade anyone, but I think totes are a little overdone personally. Oh, like no. for press, like every press has a tote. So I was like, I'm gonna wait on the tote. Maybe I'll do mm. that, but mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on it. Maybe a tote would like be a good, good like, pre order incentive. So you get the book in the tote. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, but yeah. you got you got I need a white. I need a pink shirt. Yeah, well, we, we've gone too far into into. You know, it's, it's not uh, crew neck season anymore. Yeah, no, I get that. I get but, that. But uh, for me personally, I mean, I, I love to pull <laughs> off the the princess die short shorts and the <laughs> yeah. and the crew neck uh, or the uh, the jumper as they call it in, in England. Can't, can't go wrong with that look. I know, but I'm just um, too 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 Italian yeah. of a man. Um, I'll also plug um, something I do called the Morning Writing Club. That's morningwritingclub.com. So if anyone is interested in forming um, a morning writing habit, I host a Zoom every morning from 5 to 7 Pacific time, 8 to 10 Eastern time. It's kind of like an accountability thing for writers. So it's a cool um, thing that's uh, $9 a month that is a group of people that do that together. Nice. That's awesome. (laughs) That's incredible. It's kind of cool. It's cool. It's a, it's a cool group. So just if any writers are out there listening and want to experiment with a group like that, I, I host that and it's um, it's pretty fun. What's the format of, of a thing like that? It's um it's uh, just on Zoom for two hours. Mm-hmm. And so I sign on straight out of bed. You know, it's 5 a.m. my time. I get out of bed and um, I pull one of these oblique strategy cards by Brian Eno. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. these? Oh, no. Um, so I pull one just as like an optional prompt for the day. And so they're kind of, you know, some weird prompt. Um, today's was like, allow an easement. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, you say so. So I, I, I pull a card. People like that. I pull, I pull a card. Um, that's kind of like our tone for the day. And then we just go camera off, audio off. And so I'm just there writing at the same time as everyone. But we're all there just kind of working together. And then we kind of catch up at other times and talk about it. And people meet each other. So that's crazy. Anyway, just, just wanted so to give that inc- a quick plug because that, yeah, yeah. that actually incredible. that actually helps that helps to fund Rose Books, actually. So that's how, how, how long are you sitting on Zoom all day? Um, well, just two hours in the morning oh, for okay. that. 
So gotcha. it's just a two hour, it's a two hour group. Some people are there the whole time, but most people like come and go. Do you go back to sleep after that? That's so early. No, I wake up at like four thirty. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but that's oh, what man. living in the middle of nowhere can do for you. you know? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's oh, cool. Boy. I like I like I like writing in the morning, so it's it's good. But nice. Anyway, uh, just want to yeah. plug that. <laughs> um, if you like books without any writing and just pictures, uh, <laughs> boy, do I have a lot of books for you. <laughs> I'm gonna check them out. Dan Bassini on Twitter and Instagram, danbassini.com. My latest book, No Invite Volume 10, is out now and available June 1st. I'm doing a book release party slash photo exhibition. Breaking news, uh, I just found out that I got Peroni to sponsor the party, so uh, there'll be bottles of Italian excellence and also non-alcoholic versions of their their fine beer as well. Mm, so so. Uh, we got ourselves some free beer, which uh, which rips. So <laughs> that's June first. That's at Morrison Hotel Gallery on Prince Street in Soho, six to eight. It's gonna be fun. Uh, please show up and make me look cool uh, in front of the Peroni folk. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, Andrew, what do you got the plug? Um, I can plug this podcast as you should. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Run Into the Ground or on Twitter at Run In the Number Two The Ground. Um, if you would like to take a look at my Tumblr, please do. The address is coffeepleasenow.tumblr.com. Uh, I now. just I just looked, I sent it to Dan, um, and as soon as I saw it, I said I should not have sent this to Dan. <laughs> I think you've sent um, it to me before, actually. It's been oh, a while. have though. I? Uh yeah, because the last record was number three oh one. It was Restorations LP three. Um nice. what a time. Um Chelsea, this was fucking awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. I really appreciate it. As you know, you're now Rosebooks family, and oh, I am yeah. part of the run into the ground family. So Absolutely. that's a good trade. <laughs> you've you've been championing us uh for, for a while now, and we and we love you right back. So thank you so good, much. It was such a collab. pleasure to it was such a pleasure to meet you guys and to chat with you about this. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And also, if you like this episode, everybody else, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash run into the ground. Five bucks a month gets you a bunch of extra episodes. Uh, I get think... You custom playlists. What do you say? No, I, I think <laughs> that, like, I think that if you... If you want to be... You know, like, a financial aspect to every relationship is good, so... Mm-hmm. Dan and I really like your money. It's true. And if you <laughs> want to be part of the if you want to be a part of the run into the ground family and don't have anything cool to exchange with us like Chelsea does, <laughs> you can give us five bucks and, and we'll we'll include you in that in that Richard Abaddon family photo. Uh, <laughs> Good yeah, Chelsea, incredible to have you. Lovely to talk. Everybody else. Bye-bye. Bye bye.